Welcome to the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. My name is Ty Evans. And in this episode, we got a special guest for you. We have Vic Lott. This guy is a modern-day cowboy, a good friend of mine, and just all-around great guy. And we're going to be talking about what it takes to make a bridle horse or a bridle mule. We're going to talk about the gear we use. We're going to talk about the traditions that we follow and why we do it all what this is all about. Um, I know this whole concept of making a bridle mule or a bridle horse might be new to you. So hopefully this episode will give you something to think about and maybe open up your mind to some new things. Before we get going, if it's not too much to ask, I would be very grateful to you if you could leave us a five-star rating. And I'd be even more grateful if you would take a moment and write me a review uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that really helps us out, and I'm very grateful for that. And I'd also like to thank our sponsors for this episode, the Boyd Ranch Mule Ride. Uh, this is a fun mule ride coming up here in March of 2021, and it's a good time, good food, good people, great trails. And this year, we're doing a clinic there too, and we'd love to have you join us. So. Without further ado, let's bring you Vic Lott. All right, welcome to the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans, and today I got my good buddy here, Vic Lott. Um, Vic is Vic is what I call modern day Buckaroo. He kind of he kind of lives the dream, at least half the time, right, Vic? Half the time, yes. half the time. So <laughs> we're gonna talk about Vic, and this guy is super interesting. You guys are gonna love hearing from Vic. Uh, got some good stories for you. Got some good messages for you. So thanks for coming on here, Vic. Thank you. Yeah, Ty, you're you're amazing, amazing mule and horse trainer. Um, some people might not know that you also train horses as well. So yeah, there's two talents there in my mindset. Anyway. Yeah, I'm just a mule guy. <laughs> <laughs> I beg to differ, but yeah, yeah, you are definitely the mule man. So, Vic, like I was saying, I, I wanted you to come on here because, um, you know, I travel all over the world and I teach people how to make bridle mules and bridle horses, even though they, they might not know that's what I'm doing to them. Because <laughs> a lot of them come from different backgrounds in fact, a lot of the people, a lot of you guys listening today, um, you might be thinking, what the heck is he talking about, a bridal mule, bridal horse? You know, uh, I remember when I went back east for the first time, and they just thought my flat my flat top hat was just weird. You know, they'd never seen a flat topper. You know, Vic, if you guys could see Vic right now, he's got his flat top on. and um, You know, and, and, and they think... A lot of people have the misconception like the spade bit is, you know, barbaric and we're just like freaking Vikings or something. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So, um, absolutely. It's so so. This education is um, it's it's interesting because something that has been around for thousands of years, a lot of people just don't know about it. They don't. They so. don't. And uh, they must not dig deep enough sometimes to find out some of the history of all these all this equipment and how it works 
And of course, you come across teaching suppleness, softness, and to give, immediately give. And a lot of people just want to get by, so they slap the biggest thing they can get a hold of or a, or even a snaffle bit. A ring snaffle bit or a de-snaffle bit can be too rough in the wrong kind of hands. So as you go through, you're constantly teaching softness of hands, suppleness of hands. And you know, you can go online and you can hear this over and over again, but until you visit someone like Ty, you don't really understand softness and suppleness in your hands because your brain wants to just get by, survive the ride, enjoy the ride, but sometimes you gotta fix up the ride and do as he recommends, which following a method, especially Ty's method, will allow you to build your eventual own method, being that you connect and stay with his method constantly all your life, but you learn to build that into your own lifestyle, your own riding style. So bits, bridles, hackamores, they revolve around Ty's style, and that's, I guess, what we're here to talk about yeah. today. Yeah, and before we dive too deep in, I want you to introduce yourself and talk about you and your family and what you do, um, but I did have one note that would go along good with what you just said, is it's important to, to, to get your own style because every single horse is different, every single mule is different, and... I'm very process driven. You know me. I have a process and I stick to that process because that process pays. You know what I mean? I, yes, I, I got too, I have too much good evidence. But if I come if I come across something better, you bet. I'm not so sticky that I can't adjust. Yeah. So everybody listening, Vic's on to something there. You know, you you might follow what I do. That's great. And I and I appreciate that. But you gotta develop your own and uh, today we're here to kind of talk about Vic and what he does, and you'll notice a lot of a lot of similarities between what Vic and I do, and you know, but Vic's his own man, so he he does his own thing, and and we're going to talk a little bit about that too. But Vic, let's before we go too far, let's talk about you and your just introduce yourself to people that don't know you here, and give us the scoop, man. Okay, uh, born and raised in Mount Pleasant, Utah. Um, Parents ran between Alberton, Missoula, Superior, Montana, and Mount Pleasant in Spring City, Utah. Uh, golly, Buckarood. Um, I've dealt with Arabians a lot. So in Mesa Ranch in Page, Arizona, we dealt with a lot of Arabians. Um, that was actually connected to that famous actor. I forget his name, but he was on Ghost and things like that. Uh, Patrick Swayze, maybe? Yeah, Patrick I Swayze. Know. I don't watch the show, but anyway. And then uh, I cowboyed at places like the Heaton Ranch and out in Utah uh, by Rush Meadows. Mr. Carl Heaton, a super special guy, real calm demeanor and, and just a wonderful family man. He was a great teacher. The Douglas Ranch in Colorado uh, was for the Shell Corporation, Mr. Peel. Uh, he's since passed away and that uh, ranch has been liquidated. But And then the big one, um, Pathfinder Ranch, I was in the D Block um south like carbon county area um it's 140,000 acres in casper by casper wyoming and then uh riverview ranch montana it was kind of a wedding horse i didn't last too long because it didn't have a lot to do with cows mm -hmm. and it didn't let me train horses it made me 
uh, hunt elk and and I enjoy that but and I packed but it had a lot of goats and I just wasn't my kind of style <laughs> a lot so, of goats huh? to be honest and it did not set up the buckaroo lifestyle like we're searching for the goats uh had a hard time at branding, huh? They sure did. They, they had a hard time they surviving that. They were hard that. to ride, and they were <laughs> faster to rope. So yeah, so much for branding them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's basically the break of it. And then my father was a horse trainer. He was a what we call a thirty-day horse trainer, which me and Ty cringe at because uh, that's hopefully null and void in the next five to ten years. We can convince you otherwise. There's no such thing as a thirty-day break. It was uh, called Royal Acre Horse Training. In Mount Pleasant, it was a he was a wonderful man, great horse trainer, but he had a base system um, based upon pressure and release, old school for sure. And I trained, and my brothers trained for him, and my sister trained for him for years. And he was quite the trainer. If you ask around, he's quite a famous little guy. But uh, since passed, and so I've moved on, and always had an influence with the Buckaroo style. So that's basically a breakdown. My wife and I've got three, three lovely girls. They're older now, and my wife is famous. She's the owner of Das Cafe. One of the owners. She has a sister. She's from Germany, and uh, I smile every time I talk about her because she's just the greatest, the coolest lady. And if you ever want really good German food, come on over to Das Cafe in Spring City. There's a plug, Ty. There you go. So, Kraut, Krautburger. Krautburger. Yeah, that's right. Ty that's what, that's what I get. Yep. So uh, that's about it. I'm kind of boring. Um, as far as buckarooing, uh, do you want to ask me where I went from buckarooing? Well, let's let's uh, let's tell tell them why I why I said that you get to live the dream half the time. Okay. So tell them, All right. tell them what you do. Well, I was actually at the Pathfinder shoeing horses. This is obviously in Wyoming, and uh, you got an extra thirty bucks a horse if you shod them. So I needed some money, and I wasn't a great shoer, but I was doing it. And uh, a man named Ronnie Pitts come and approached me because he had a horse being shot. And he's like, man, you're strong for a skinny sucker. <laughs> and uh, he asked me if I want to make 14 bucks an hour. And I jumped about jumped over the horse and said yes. And so I went to roughnecking from buckarooing. And after learning roughnecking, it's, it's you're drilling for gas and oil. And, it, of course, it's um, sometimes environmental, but um, we'll not get into that too deep. But he uh, really liked hiring the cowboys and the farmers because they were hard workers and they were good with a rope, so they were good with a chain. And throwing chain was an old school deal you had to do on those rigs. And then I got to where I worked my way up from that and, and became an engineer. I realized that working that hard would wear me down too quick, so engineering was a wonderful way to have my two weeks at work and focus solely on a professional career uh, making high dollars and high marks, but then come home and enjoy the buckaroo lifestyle like Ty and I are seeking. And that's basically the breakdown of, of where I've gone professionally, searching for my niche in the world. So Yeah. Let's back up a little bit and talk about growing up with horses. So you've, you've been around horses since you were born, right? Yes. Your dad always trained and... Yep. That's what you're around. So you got any, tell us a little bit about, about, uh, your childhood, like maybe some experiences with some of the horses. What, I guess what, um, kept you, kept you going with the horses. Cause I, I don't know. I see a lot of people that grow up 
and then they're not interested in horses and they you know well, I mean even take some some people in my family you know they grew up with horses and now they don't got them you know and, and there's lots of reasons cost money and things but just give us a little background there well that's a good touch on that um as far as as literally be born on a horse there was a horse named sunshine and my dad was moving it from one pasture to the other and he was convinced that i wouldn't sunshine wouldn't do anything wrong and i was probably six months old and that was the first time in forever that that horse decided to jump a ditch and i fell in the ditch and <laughs> you should have seen the look i gave my dad i guess it was something like i'm gonna beat you up even a six-month-old gets mad so i was pretty mad but but anyway so that horse was just a wonderful horse. Grew up another horse, a quarter horse crossed Arabian. Uh, we called him Sakari. He actually started losing his teeth at 16 because he was used so hard. But I fell in love with him and decided that was my horse for the next five years and was able to bring him back and use him. And I think the love that I showed him and the love that he showed me between oh, 06 and 12, and that's when he finally went, had to go, uh, just instilled a passion in me that wasn't actually instilled by my dad. The, tr the learning of horse training came later with him. First, I got to ride all the fun stuff, and my brothers were doing all the hard stuff. And back then, it really was hard. It was about $100 a horse, 30-day break, smash them out. Everybody can ride in Utah. Everybody was a horse trainer. It was kind of a real competitive and hard lifestyle. To train horses that was just mm -hmm. super and everybody waited till the horse was six seven eight years old which is not a problem really if the horse is gentle but they let them be as wild as mustangs <laughs> and then wild they wanted the you sagebrush to, and yeah <laughs> and they wanted you to train them so yep. life got hard there was a couple accidents and there was a couple of uh, things that i wish i would have done different a few dodges i would have jumped instead of ducked and ducked instead of jumped so mm-hmm we got a lot of similarities, you know, growing up and cause my dad was kind of like that too, uh, you know, and just trying to get something done in 30 days. You had 30 days. And, um, as I, you know, grew up and d did my own thing, that's all I ever knew was dad's, you know, 30 days. Yeah. But boy, that puts a lot of pressure on you. It sure does. And then the culture and, uh, it's different, you know, being blessed to be able to travel all over the country, it is different other places. And we live here, where Vic and I live, we're kind of, well, it's kind of called the Buckaroo Fringes of the Great Basin. We're just on the edge of the Great Basin, so we're not like heart of Buckaroo tradition country. So we got, we got a little Texas culture, a little Arizona culture, yes. yep. a little bit of the you know, Midwest culture. It's a little bit of a melting pot, it just is. like U Utah's a melting pot, really. But... Um, because of that, you're right, the culture for the longest time, and it's fading. We talked about this the other day. Yeah. 30 days is fading out. People are realizing that's just Thank dumb. heavens. Yes. But it was, it was for quite some time, that's the culture. 30 days, I should be able to get on and go ride. And, man, you're right, that yeah. pressure's on. <laughs> and more so on that horse than on you. Absolutely. It's, it's too a mental, much pressure. Yeah, it's a it's a mental game for you, but it, it yeah. just blows those horses and mules' minds. Yeah, and, yeah, and it, even the mules seem it's even more challenging. It seems like for the mules, um, the mules need that time to think. Yeah, yeah. Horses should too. I agree. But we get away with we we can get away with just a little more. 
with a horse, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So, well, so growing up with your dad, riding colts, working for him. Tell us about the next transi- transition. When you started, um, when, when you moved out, and let's get going on your ranching. Yeah, I got the opportunity to immediately go to Arizona. And like you said, there was a Texas influence and a Buckaroo influence. It was a little bit of both. And I had already latched on. I, I was lucky and fortunate. My dad hired some vaqueros. And I had already been able to latch on to the vaquero tradition and style of Utah, and which is a little different like, like Ty says. But I also got the opportunity to wear flat-brim hats, especially leather ones, which was funny. Leather flat. I wore a lot of leather, what? which was hot as heck. <laughs> that sound, well, maybe right now it's with so the awesome. wind in in Ennis, Montana, and things. They stayed on better, yeah. even with a tie down. But uh, wow! So I picked up the flat brim hat from going up to Montana and listening to my brothers and sisters tell me stories and and and, and looking at pictures. Western Horseman was was my life, um, especially in the back for the wanted ads where to work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the the Arabian Ranch was one of the first. Uh, that's where I picked up a lot more. Let's calm down and do this tomorrow. Because yeah, if Arabians are wonderful animals, they'll give you everything they got and then some. But they're quick and spooky and, and always in the mood to jump from that Walmart sack. And not just jump across the road, but clear across the road into the neighbor's <laughs> front <of> your door. <laughs> and yep. uh, had a few mules the same way. Because back then, the mules were a little different in that a lot of people made a big mistake. They were like... Oh, well, that's a piece of junk mare, so let's breed this jackass to this piece of junk mare and see what mm-hmm. we get. A wrong mindset. You know, the breeding is starting to change. Mules are getting to be so much more amazing. They already were. If you go look back, there was a jumper mule for the Army that could jump so high. I don't have all the facts, but it was just mm-hmm. a wonderful, almost gray mule. I remember yeah, seeing I know what you're talking pictures. about. I can't remember the mule's name, but I know what you're talking about. And then I had uh, Billy Joel. She was a mule that I was just one of the best roping horses. I didn't know footwork at the time, so she would set me up for good shots and put me in the position to give someone a good heel catch or one-legger or hip shot. And so that was, that was where I grew up, was learning from the mule or from the horse to slow it down. There's always tomorrow. Don't pull on that face and start building the collection and the soft hands that you need. And I'm a brute. I, I built like a brick house, and I could probably throw down with the biggest guy if I want to, but i really getting old now. <laughs> but uh, I learned that to soften your hands is actually, and not lean forward, and not move your body too much, is the proper way. That's how the mule or the horse reads you, is by your footwork and your handwork and your softness and your willingness to, let's, let's just go ahead and do that tomorrow. That's really, I guess, building towards the bridal horse. Bridal. Yeah. Minana. 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 Tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. We don't have to do it today. We don't. We don't have to do it right now. And that's, I tell you, that's the hardest thing for me was to ever learn. That was the hardest thing. It doesn't have to be done today, because if I set my mind to it, I'm going to do it. You know, that's that's kind of my mentality. So I've had to tune on myself you know so before we go too much further here let's just kind of pause and people might be a little confused on the difference between vaquero and buckaroo 
first of all, the word buckaroo is derived from vaquero because how how the Spanish Angles. is vaquero. Yeah. Vaquero, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, they yeah. called me Bicto all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they couldn't say my So, name. so it's really the same word. However, there's a difference in the traditions, and the biggest difference is that dividing line, the Sierras, and over, you know, the Nevada side and the California side. Nevada side, from here over, we most of us, the Buckaroo tradition adds in the Snapple bit progression. Yep. On the California side, it's Hackamore, Hackamore. then Tourane, then the Bridal. We add yes. that snap a bit first on this side of the mountain, really, and then go up. But that's that's a general, that's just a general thing. So I just wanted to mention that. Do you have any comments along with that? Well, and that's just it. Um, you know, I almost say that uh, it, the climate has a lot to do with everything. And, and again, this is all on the Internet, but this was before the Internet. We knew that uh, even Northern California was just so much smoother than... <laughs> Oregon, Wyoming, it was so cold up there and we had to get stuff done right now or we're going to freeze to death. And we also had ponies that were just not coming along crossed. And uh, so the spade bit allowed us to use what I call the one rain stop, which exists in Buckaroo style. And that was taught to the Buckaroo or taken to the Buckaroo from the Buckaroo. However you want to find out how that works, I don't know. But the spade bit lets us get by with way greener horses and i tell you that one rain stop you mean your snaffle the head or sorry yeah. yes yeah. the snaffle, snaffle sorry make that clear to everybody snaffle um gives me the one rain stop i need i ride with a snaffle with slobber straps with a get down rope but i have today i have my father's snaffle with his uh, rommel reins and chains here just an example to remind me that uh, that's that's a bit i enjoy that's a bit I'm proud of, and that's the bit that Ty runs every clinic, rides his, most of his horses, and starts his mules and colts. Mm-hmm. With that, correct? Yeah. So yeah, we, you know, we we spend about two years. It takes me about two years in the snaffle bit. That's with my time and my abilities. Some people are faster. Some people take longer. Yeah. So about two years in the snaffle bit, and then we go to the hackamore for one to two years, going down in size. From three quarters, five eighths, half inch, and so forth, three eighths, um, and then we go to the two rain. In in the two rain, for those that don't know what we're talking about with the two rain, um, we're talking about using a hackamore. You do small, like three eighths or uh, uh, what five sixteenths. Five sixteenths. Yeah, mm-hmm. three eighths or five sixteenths. I'm gonna shut that phone off. Here go. Um, and then we go to that spade. Still not done yet, is it? <laughs> but uh, so after after riding in the two rain for about oh another year, then we go to the straight up in the bridle, which is you can use either spade bit or I I like half breeds a lot. Um, they're easy to, easier for me to get along with. Um, but uh, so. Anyways, anything else you want to add, the difference between kind of the vaqueros and buckaroos before we go on with your story? Uh, if you would like to to go why your reasoning is for the snaffle bit before the hack, before, yeah. so, before I get into that. So the reason, I guess, 
if you go back in history, the Buckaroos, we have more English influence on this side of the mountain where you go over the hill there and it's just a traditional Vaquero Spanish all the way back to, you can trace all the way back to the Moors in Africa. Um, you know, and you can find rawhide braiding all the way back to, uh, what, Tibetan, yeah, Turkey, and China. it's it's um, it's ancient. So that's an older tradition. The snaffle bit is European. Snaffle bit. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. Vic is one cool guy, isn't he? It's a lot of fun hanging out with him. I want to interrupt real quick, though and give our brand new online video library a shout out. If you haven't had a chance to check out the videos we have available on there, you need to do so. Go to tsmules.com, click on the online video library tab, and check out all the amazing videos, everything from groundwork to in the saddle, uh, saddles and tack tips, we got problem solving, we got clips from clinics, and so much more. With a lot more to come. In fact, if you're enjoying the topic that Vic and I are discussing today on making a bridle horse or bridle mule, then you'll be really interested to know that this year I'll be filming a series called The Hackamore Progression. And it's all about progressing these animals, getting them ready for that bridle. So look forward to seeing that. And thank you for listening. Let's get back to Vic. We were talking about that snaffle bit and the hackamore and the two rein and the bridle. So I was saying, you know, the, the reason we start them in the snaffle bit is the communication. And I, I use the example of my daughter Swayze. And I said, it's like when my daughter's, I'm trying to get her to look at a deer, an elk or something, and she doesn't see it. <laughs> she looks up in the sky <laughs> or she looks the opposite way. So I grab her head <laughs> with both hands and I and I point toward whatever it is I'm trying to get her to look at. Yeah. So I said Swayze's in the snaffle bit, right? She's gonna hate when she listens to this five years from now. <laughs> She's gonna but she'll be a pro, so yeah. it doesn't matter. But uh you know, that's what the snaffle bit does is it it gives you that I guess for for me, my way of thinking it's uh clear communication what you're trying to get done and, and it's a little bit more hands on that way. When we go to the hackamore, we take away that that pulling, that uh, directing rein, right? Um, we, well, we still have a directing rein. However, I should say the direct pull. So, you know, like a snaffle bit, you pick up on the right rein. They're going to fill it in the right lip, and then you're going to push with the outside ring. And that hackamore, you don't have that anymore. All you have is the outside push. So you've refined, you've, you've went down and you're doing less. And that's the whole goal with the way Vic and I do, do this is we want to do less. Like this is the only, this is the only thing like in life that it's totally okay to try to do as little as you can and see how much you can get. Less is more. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. you want to do less. You're wanting to, to do less. And then when we go into the two rain, that's our chance. That's our you know, one or two year process to get out of that, that habit of having to pick up on reins to get something done. And we're moving to our seat and our legs to communicate and, you know, not so much, uh, that direct pull. And then when we're in the bridle, you know, uh, 
I mean, yeah, you, it, it's easy enough. It's not like a law. You, it's not like you can't touch a directing rein. I mean, I mean, I do it all the time if I need to, mm-hmm. you know, help them out. Yep. Um, I'm not going to just let my mule fail, you know. Right. Um, but, but, but by that time, you should have them so light and responsive that it's, you know, you're directing with your reins is very little. Yep. So, but we're saying here is the buckaroo tradition has that snap a bit. The vaqueros, they would spend more time in the hackmore. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk about that? Well, and that's what, uh, that's, well, I guess that's why I'm here. So I uh, have built hackamores before and, and uh, feel strongly about the hackamore and feel just a touch different about the uh, snaffle, ring snaffle than Ty does in that I think it was the time frame we grew up just probably 10, 11 years apart as far as horsemanship yeah, you're, goes. Yeah, you're old. I'm old. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, what I mean by that is uh, I transition downward, so I start with a big hackamore. Uh, we'll just call it a three-quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my starting goal is, again, to do less with more. So that's got a lot of weight on it. It's directing and flexating and collecting all at once. And it starts from the pull between the ears. And if you're positioned right, which means your get down rope is tied, actually tied against the cheek. And your Basel top is sitting just above the nostrils where the soft point is. The mule is gonna feel more. They're not gonna have it against the hard bone, which is not wrong. Uh, old school, you used to ride up against the jowl and it was no big deal. But uh, that was also a differently built hack. You're always looking for a flexating hack with a soft core, where back in the day they used a lot of hard metal coring. I mean, it was like cable. And that just didn't give the transition. Mm -hmm. It was, again, just to get by with those older, harder horses and harder hand men and women that were great riders, actually phenomenal riders, probably harder riders than we are now because they were not used to the nice breeding and the easygoing animals that we seem to have more of now, more mm-hmm. availability. Oh, yeah. And so then you transition from the three-quarter down to the um, half. And again, you stay in the half for as long as it takes, sometimes two, sometimes four years. I want my horse to tuck in, roll back, sit down on its haunches, cross its legs, rope off of it. Anything I can get a hold of is going to be with that soft-handed hackamore. But truthfully, they do a lot of damage sometimes in the wrong hands. They can actually bring blood to the surface down below the cheek. They can do all kinds of things. So it's all about your hands and your softness and your spirit. You've got to have a lot of personal uh, relaxation in your body. Got to have a lot of feel. And a lot of feel. I've seen a lot of people dull horses and mules down with a hackamore. Yes. And they think, a lot of people think, oh, well, I want to go bitless. Yeah. And yeah, the hackamore, for you and I, is always just a transition piece. It is. Hackamores, yeah. for us, are not end goals. It, no. It's transitional pieces. So yeah. it's like, you know, it's it's like, well, you, you go to college before you go out and get your careers for some people. Yeah. It's a transition time. Nobody... Wants to stay in college forever. Well, I guess some people do. Some people do. <laughs> Not you and I. The beer but, people. <laughs> yeah. So so it's just a transition time. That's that's what I think of it. Yeah. And then and you're absolutely right. And that transition continues down to five sixteenths. 
and even Basilito. Uh, Basilito is the thinnest uh, deal, and, and, I, and I can't prove this, but I was riding with Ty, and I saw a little bobcat, and I was riding my horse with a Basilito, and watching that little bobcat uh, was pretty neat. It was just the coolest little thing, but I couldn't prove that because I didn't have my phone. And yeah, they had already mis- ridden ahead. Mis- mysterious bobcat. And we were climbing up these <laughs> cliffs. So uh, they were already gone with those mules because I got slow old horses. But anyway, uh, I was riding that day with the Basilito to set my horse up for the next day to go actually into the two-rain. And that's uh, the Basilito is the final step to going into Ty's two-rain where you go into the spade, uh, long tooth bit, uh, there's many, many names. Um, in particular, I have a spoon bit, a spade spoon bit today with a moon with the fancy conchos on it and things like that, just sitting here on the table. But uh, And you will use that transition, but you start stay with the Basilito and let them carry the bit for as long as it takes. Again, remember, we're not in a hurry. We're setting something up for a lifetime. And something I've always thought was funny is people are willing to buy a five, $10,000 saddle. They're willing to buy a $50,000 truck and a beautiful horse trailer that's probably $10,000, $15,000, 20000 30000 40000 But anyway, but they'll want to spend $300 on a horse. It's uh, kind of cracked me up that way. It's like, well, you're getting a custom animal. You want to make sure that the investment is correct with the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, guys like Ty can take a $300 horse and turn it into a $10 million horse. But not everyone can do that. So it's the investment and the training and the horse trainers are the people to invest in to make that animal build up to these mm-hmm. expectations. You know, I just had a thought come to my mind too about, uh, you know, like you said, when, when we transitioned to the two-rein, we're using our, you say Bozolito, and I say Bozolita. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Uh, feminine and masculine. <laughs> so mine's masculine, yours was feminine. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, anyways. And I'm a Sam Peter, so Bozolito. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that that transition time, when, when I have my mules just carry that bridle bit, it's usually for about four months. Because the way, if I was to break down one year in the two rain, I got about four months, they just carry it. And I don't touch that that bridle bit. I just use it in my hackamore rein. And for those that are still unsure what the two rein is, we literally have two sets of reins. We've got the hackamore on and we've got the bridle on. We literally have two sets of reins, okay? So the first four, they're just carrying it. They're just sitting there. They're just learning how to pack it. The second four months, so the uh, that time is, is I, I'm kind of starting to use both. Um, and so if I, you know, if I'm asking for maybe a stop and asking to back up a little bit, both reins are engaging as needed with one hand, with one hand, then for the last four months, the last, uh, third of the year, I'm just using the bridle reins, but assisting as needed. So like if I'm going to go work cattle, um, I'm not going to just throw it out to the wind and let my mule fail. I'll, I'll reach down and use my hack marine to make those turns or what, you know, if they need help, I'll, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So comfort zone for the yeah. animal yes. and, and the rider. 
so my thought on this, this is always interesting to me when somebody will go buy, they'll go buy a new bit. And it, and it doesn't have to be what you and I do, but just any bit. They'll just go, yeah, I tried that on my mule. That doesn't work. Well, well, how long? Well, well I put it on and they just really didn't seem Ten to like minutes. it. I'm like, how do you know they didn't like it? <laughs> like, how do you know? Yeah. Because cause I have a, a couple of bridal bits. You got a couple of bridal bits or more. And I, I might let that mule carry that thing around a month before I say, well, let's let's put this one on. This is, has a little different mouthpiece to it. Let's see if you like this. Mm-hmm. And backing up to the hackamore and the snaffle bit, uh, they all wear those. Yeah. So like I got one, one, I got my favorite snaffle that I use on everything. Um, Tom Balding built it. I just love it. Oh, it's a good, bits. good snaffle bit. It's going to last me forever, you know, and yeah. they all pack it yeah. and that's just it. And if they don't like it, well, none of them like it when you first put it on. I mean, neither would you and I, you yeah. know, they, they just learn to pack it. I care a little bit more if they like things in the bridle. Also because I figured, well, You've kind of earned a little bit of a thought here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've earned the right to. Yeah. Hey, you, do you like that cricket or do you like this cricket? Yeah. You like that roller? What, you know what do you like? And um, but my point is, is you can't just put a bit in a mouth and in ten minutes, like you said, you, you can't know, expect it. yeah, it's not going to happen. You, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. They they got to learn to pack it, and that's why we use that four month time period where they're just wearing a bit. Yeah, and a lot of times I just hook my rimmels around my saddle horn, and they just they just carry it. There's a few different ways to tie rimmel reins up, and you know whatnot, but um, that's all we do. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's shift here a little bit, Vic. Let's talk about. Um, so let's shift a little bit and talk about some of your. What was your influence? This, your, your buckaroo influence. Did you ever have a moment where you, where you was just influenced by this tradition and you wanted to chase it a little bit deeper than how you grew up? Uh, yes, absolutely. Do you, um, do you remember that? I really couldn't name them because they, they weren't on the internet yet and it wasn't uh, everybody in Western Horsemen. You just read little blurps. So it was more watching the men on the ranches working. You could pick out the, the natural buckaroo over the i just want to get this job done right now buckaroo and uh there happened to be actually in particular a a gal i was kind of interested in actually she's real pretty and she was a natural buckaroo she she wore all the the gear and and uh she roped well and and she she rode in the spade bit straight up after going through all the steps that we just talked about and so she was an absolute influence of mine. And, uh, and uh, she said that it didn't take all this gear to make her a buckaroo. It, it took other buckarooing influences. It took study. It took reading. It took admirers like admiring Ty and his system and the way he trains and teaches. And, and also having a conviction of your own to become your style and the way you perceive how a buckaroo should look because it's across the board of a Carol buckaroo, a Texas cowboy. They're basically all the same, um, but they do have different styles and it's all because based on weather timing and animals that they deal with and ride. So, so my influence actually, to be honest, was 
total observation and um, stepping into it. Uh, a lot of people will say that with a swear word, but I, I just you step into it. Uh, you get run over by a cow, you get hit by a horse <laughs> the wrong way or a mule. Yep. And so you learn when not to be there and how not to be there. And, and that's timing and that's, that's uh, confidence, conviction, and you got to have guts. You got to have a lot of guts to do this. It's not easy. It's not. Uh, so. It's not easy. But, um, you know, you mentioned uh, weather, and yes. and this is something that I've tr I try to teach people because I I will get people that are interested in different things in different parts of the country, but one example of where where gear is influenced by weather, you know, I mentioned this the other day, horsehair macatees. Mm -hmm. Um, it's great for we live in Utah. It's dry. Yeah, I mean it's, it's winter time. This air is dry here. It's dry in the summer. It's never yeah. humid, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, but my friends that live over in New York or Vermont or Virginia or Tennessee, yeah. uh, a horsehair macati just does not hold up. No, no. And honestly, I work back there, so I know. Yeah, you know all yeah. about it. You go, yeah. So, and really the same thing with rawhide. Yeah, rawhide doesn't have the life the feel to it in in that part of the world and i can tell because i mean i travel so i'm i, I mean i take my gear with me and my rawhide i have to make sure i'm taking care of it keeping things uh you know uh keeping them keeping them up keep you know the upkeep on them and uh making sure they're not getting moldy and making sure uh, yep. that uh yeah, they're not breaking down. Saddle soap. Yeah, saddle soap. I, yeah. I mean, I got to keep them, and I keep them shaped too, you know. Your hackamores, you got to keep them shaped back yep. there. Because you if you hang that hackamore on that ring back there and just sits there, it just it just kind of like melts down. It, it, does. it does not hold its shape yep. in that environment. Well, they don't hold their shape that perfectly out here either. We, we keep yeah. them shaped the same, but back there in humid country more so. So, so that, you're right, that weather... That has a lot of influence yeah. there. Yeah, back there, visiting back there or working back there, I've seen a lot of polyester, a lot of almost fake leather. They do have a lot of good leather. The Amish build beautiful things back there. And they are the only ones that actually wear flat brim hats back there too, come to mention it. But uh, <laughs> That's right, they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so sometimes I'm teased about being Amish even though I'm not. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, yeah, they use leather, but it's it's a different, it's got a coating on it. And it's weatherproof, waterproof, and... And yeah, like you said, it's super humid. So the uh, McCarty, the horsehair McCarty, isn't even talked about back there, really. To be honest with you, it's the mm -hmm. it's the rock climbing rope. They use a lot of rock climbing ropes. Yeah, I recommend I recommend tree line to them. Tree line, you yep. know that tree line rope. That I mean, that stuff is tough as nails. It's similar to that yacht rope type uh -huh. stuff, and that stuff doesn't wear out. Yeah, you, you can use that. In your, I don't like the. I got a set that's on my snap a bit right now, and I don't like. The feel of it, uh, it's a little too slippery for me. Mm. I love it for my lead rope, so. Yeah. But in my snaffle bit, I just, yeah. Of course, I say that, but it's been on there for a year. Yeah. Well, you get busy and you. So you don't know what really I mean? Really change it. I just keep yeah. it going. It, it is tough. It holds up. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, you got any other comments right now before we shift gears again? Well, if I could just, you know, touch on a few things that I've I'm heartfelt about uh, that I've had situations with. Uh, 
in the 80s, uh, 90s, and up into the 2000s. And one is uh, something that's drove me crazy since I was probably 17. Is uh, green on green makes black and blue. I'm sure you guys have heard that saying before. But, <laughs> but if I could just beg you not to uh, decide to raise your mule with your two-year-old child, that just that's a burden for disaster. You you really want to set up those kids to experience as Ty has with his children, which you have had such a wonderful opportunity to watch his kids grow in riding. You know, my girls used to ride so much their boots would fall off and I'd have to get off and pick them up and blah, blah, blah. But uh, what I'm getting at is I want grandpa's guaranteed horse or mule for my babies. And I think you should feel the same way. You want to protect them as much as possible. Of course, don't shade them so much that they're not possibility of falling off and learning how to fall off and fall right and get hurt and have fun but uh green on green makes black and blue folks so that's just not something i would highly recommend another one is helmets i have a confident understanding of helmets i wish i'd have wore one i'd be prettier if i'd have wore one a couple of times <laughs> but to tell you the truth you think that would have helped you i don't know <laughs> nah, i'm pretty brain dead and pretty ugly so i don't know Probably not, but yeah, that one rock that I kissed real good that ripped yep. my face off, that would have helped to have a helmet on. I could have tucked my head a little better. Oh, yeah. But uh, but to tell you the truth, you should have a helmet. You should ride with helmets if you're confident with them and you understand them. Not everybody has to ride with a helmet. Um, I disagree with telling people they have to ride with a helmet, but if you do ride with a helmet, if I can give you a piece of advice, remember that your mule does not have a helmet. You're not in a Volvo with all sides being blocked with airbags. So have the confidence to jump that rock. Don't be scared. Do it. But understand that because you have a helmet on doesn't mean your mule has a helmet on or your horse has a helmet on. It maybe shouldn't take that jump because uh, it doesn't have an airbag. So mm -hmm. sometimes make a conscious decision to remember, hey, my helmet is for my head, not my animal. So... If I could just, uh, with those two little quirks and rants. Yeah. Hey. Well, they're important. They're important, and you're right, you know. Don't ride my, you know, don't ride my meal around like it's a motorbike. and going to go wreck it. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. They're important, so. and they're part of the family, so treat them as such. Yeah. Yep. I want to, leading in with that, I guess, that's a perfect segue, talking about your broken head. Yeah. Let's talk about your broken head. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about some stories and some, oh, man. you know, one of my favorite thing things about these podcasts is, is talking to you guys about your stories and your lessons learned because we are here to teach you guys listening from our experiences so that you don't experience these things. Right. You, can, you know, what's that old saying? Life's too darn short to learn from experiences. You're, you know, learn from somebody else's experiences. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Uh, uh, hopefully we can save you some some uh, wrecks and some time. So, yeah. what? Let's talk about your broken head story. Well, the broken head story actually has to do with a green colt. Uh, I was up there with one of my best pals, and uh, she was guiding us through, and it was called Hellhole in Spring City, and it's now been named because of Hayseed and uh, Dean Barney, the big cowboys over there in Spring City. It's been named Vic's Mistake or Vic's Trail. <laughs> Uh, before it was a hellhole drop-off so it was pretty steep and it was it was straight down there for a minute and my dad decided to send his horse on because he was getting older in time and both him and the horse and 
So he, he, his horse was voice command, so it would go up and stop when he told it to stop. And then he would mosey up there with his older age. He wouldn't walk as fast as he used to. So he sent his horse ahead. And then as I was going over a log with a, in the 516th Hackamore, uh, I believe that it got stung. So it, it went backwards. And through my time of training mules and horses, I learn when they come up in the air that I pull my feet out of the stirrups and only ride with very little, like the ball of my stirrup. When they go to buck and I sink in and, and, and really dig in and hang on and give it all I've got. But when they're up in the air or sideways, I come out of the stirrup a little bit so I could get out if I need to. What, what happened was is when we reared over, he went the wrong way and fell off the cliff. And as I jumped away, I got my foot stuck in the stirrup. So as I'm going down, we're rolling. And it's just enough of an angle, probably, I don't know, 9, 10% grade, that uh, he's still falling and we're rolling together. But every time I needed to get out of the way, I'd go under the belly and try to pull my foot out of the stirrup because I didn't want the saddle to land on me. So as we're rolling, we rolled four times, as told to me by my friend because she had a bird's eye view and I was knocked unconscious for a while. Uh, and as I finally got the fourth time, I got my foot out of the stirrup. And the horse rolled back over, and that threw me like Superman over the top of the horse and straight down into a rock. And hitting that rock, just before I hit it, the whole life flashes through me, my children, my wife, what am I going to do? And I realized that uh, I should have slowed everything down. But this took a week to figure this out after I fixed my face and uh, 27 staples and 38 stitches and 200 ibuprofen later. <laughs> and... Definitely a cricketer nose, but uh, anyway, I figured out that if I would have slowed down, if I would have approached that trail differently with more confidence and uh, more understanding, and maybe of the ability of that horse, that it was green, and I was trying to be pushy and show off to my friend, maybe I would have come out of that a lot better. So pick your poisons, pick your trails, and watch ahead, way ahead. You should know what's way ahead of you. So look forward, look up, look, pick a point and choose it and go there. Had I been paying attention, I might have seen those wasps in that in that uh, log and avoided that whole situation. But uh, I was in a hurry. So. Yeah, that's a well, that's a wild wreck. I know, I know hellhole what you're talking about. Although I've never dropped down in it, but. Um, that's all rough country. You know, where Vic and I live, we, we live here in Utah, just right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. And um, and it's some rough country. Yep. So you, you're right. You do got to pick. And, and I liked your comment about, you know, picking things to the horse's ability because that's so important. And it's amazing. I've noticed myself. I have a, a huge different... A, a different amount of confidence per each meal I get on. I might get on this colt and be like, I ain't doing that. Mm -hmm. I ain't going there, you yep. know. <laughs> but the next meal I get on, I feel like I will go anywhere because yeah. I know the abilities of that animal yeah. and, and my abilities with that animal because, you know, these colts with no experience. Or I got a colt here I'm working that is just young and he's, and he's weak. He's, he's, he's weak. He doesn't have a lot of muscle to him and he doesn't have a lot of balance mm -hmm. and, you know, a couple weeks ago, he flipped over, uh, did a, what do they call it, 
ass over tea kettle. Oh yes. You know, come over to the yeah. somersault, right over top of me. You know, I, I come out just fine, but I'm just like, dude, yeah. like stay on your feet. Yeah. You know, I mean, it could have been that could have been really bad. Yeah. I, I just I brushed the dirt off and was no big deal. Uh, thank thank heavens, you yeah. know. But um, there's no way I would take that mule. Like what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, no way. Yeah. I ain't going. I ain't going yeah. down there. I can't do that. Yeah, there's always tomorrow. You're not going to go rope yeah. the cows on that no. mule. It doesn't no. have the balance. No, you can't. Yeah. So. It'll just tear it, its brain clear apart. Yeah. So. Well, that's a heck yeah. of a story. Yeah, that was just one of a gazillion. I've had uh, team runaways and and all kinds of things. Uh, again, in the 80s, we dealt with a lot of Arabians, and they loved to come high-headed and railroad backwards. So uh, to get along, we were riding with those darn chain mechanical hackmores and things like that just to get along because I had to hurry. I had to get that done in 30 days. So it would be better to try to pounce their head shut than to pick them up and, and, and lift their legs and change leads and, and be soft. So it was to get by. But after a while, I could see that that wasn't the way. That's not the way. So to take your time with the hackmores, the snaffle bits with the bends, the flexion, the tuck. Those are the things that are super important. Those are the things that you follow with Ty Evans training is there's always tomorrow. Tuck the head, flex the neck. Take your time and learn these things from him. And you won't have the kind of wrecks and bangs and booms that I have. Just sitting here in the in this beautiful kitchen, I'm sitting on a bench and my back's already starting to hurt just talking about some of these small <laughs> things. And the back hurts because of asphalt wrecks and yep. it's one time dragging. I got drug a little bit because my foot was too far in the stirrup when I got off the little colt. So please keep in mind that I was confident in each wreck. I actually got out of it with a really good situation. The doctor told me when that wreck came with the cliff, shouldn't be alive, shouldn't even be here. But it was because of my confidence and my ability and my um, teaching from my father and, and other people that I came out of those things on top. And that's what you need to do yourself is come out on top and use systems like Ty has to come out on top with your animal and take tomorrow to train it some more. And, and then also, uh, again, be minimal. Sometimes it only takes 10 minutes and then go for a two-hour ride and don't touch them again. Just ride them. Because sometimes when you overdo it, you sour them. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe you could teach us more about souring. You know, you can test, do something too long and just make them just upset. Yeah, you're right. I love trail riding. I love mountain riding. We're blessed. We're definitely blessed here in Utah to yes. have a lot of, we got a lot of country. Yes. We got big country. You could saddle up right now and you could ride long ways. We you should. Know. We should, we should, before the snow hits here in a minute. Huh? Yes. But um, good thing about trail riding, though, well, and, and that's my main gig is trail riding. And I tell folks, even when I'm uh, I, I'm buckarooing or cowboying, I'm just following a cow down a trail. It's a trail. Like, yeah. we're, a little slower, but, you know. Cowboys are trail riders. Yeah. You know, and then we, we get to rope a fraction of the time. Yes. Only, we practice and practice for... Uh, moments of, of, you know, these little moments. Yep. Reminds me of like when I was rodeo and I'd practice and work for eight seconds. Eight seconds. That's it. <laughs> you know, and all that exercise and diet and all that work for eight seconds. Yep. It's kind of like us buckaroo and um, you, you, you only get a rope for a minute. 
all the rest of the time, you are a trail rider. And sometimes worse yet, a pasture rider. <laughs> you know, you're, oh, just, yeah. you're just riding and gathering in pasture. Yeah. Where Vic and I live, there's, we live in this big valley, and, and uh, the majority of the cattle are down in the valley, except yeah. for when we take them on permit. And so, you know, like when you get hired to day work, you're, you're in a pasture. Mm -hmm. You're not out in the brush a lot. Yeah. You know, um, and it's down an alleyway road too. Yep. To get to the least ground. So, but what he's saying though is, and it's just absolutely perfect, but you know, you can, the good thing about trail riding and even just cowboying is you can tinker for a minute. You can play with that mule, that horse. You can ask him questions. You can do stuff. And then leave them alone. And then just, just ride. Just leave them alone. Let them be. And then you can do a little bit more. Then leave them alone. Let them be. You don't have to, you don't have to work four hours straight. Yeah. You know, um, not everybody's blessed with that. Some people, you know, uh, well, like where you, when you go back east and do your other job, mm. you know, people back there, they don't have that opportunity always. They, they have an arena. Right. So, it's, it's tight back there. Lots of trees. So they maybe just but they can still just do a few minutes of work and then leave them alone just ride around mm-hmm. uh one of my favorite exercises on horses and mules is just to ride a ride on course on loose rain yep. so just seat leg rain and i just go i make bends make little you know right cursive and yeah. you know in dust yeah. you know or the snow and just and watch just, your eight track yep just just make bends and just small uh you know eighth turns quarter turns half turns so yeah yep. well vic we got, uh, we're about to up on time, and I know you got stuff to do, but I, I want to, is there anything else you want to add before I ask my final question? Anything else you want to well, say right it, now? Well, if I may, if it leads into hopefully where we went, was the, which was the Basel to the Baselito, yep. to rain, and then straight up in the bridle. I have a different belief, and it's an older belief. Uh, raining used to be different. It used to be high raining. Um, and you use a lot more foot pressure back then, and I, I still have a habit of using a lot more foot pressure. Sometimes I don't ride with a bridle. I put my hands on the horn and just use my feet. In Ty's, we were talking the other day, and in, Ty, I, I might have actually blew your mind for once because he knows a lot more than I do. But anyway. I don't know about that. Uh, I feel that the snaffle bit, which he is a true patron of, a true member of that society is the final touch the finished touch I can go all the way through my Basel clear down to my Baselito and barely touch the rein and make the horse just stop slide to a stop turn spin straight up in the bridle all the way through but my final event is riding smooth transitions and very minimal touches with the snaffle bit with my get down rope and my slobber straps that's when I think the horse is ultimately finished so to go with all of these transitions there's nothing wrong with trying different vitals for your horse all the way from the snaffle to the big bits uh, try not to listen to everybody about a bit is bad because if you take the time and have soft hands it's not bad so your snaffle to me is the final product that tells you that your horse is straight up and, and, and set up and your mule is straight up and set up and the less you pull with the more actions you do it is finer refined and straight up and that's just kind of where I go with that and that goes back to 
the bone bit. The bone bit is the oldest bit. Uh, they showed it in a couple old Indian John Wayne movies and things like that. That's the original this side of the mountain bit. And then we learned from the vaqueros to go to all these other things. So really, the snaffle bit is the oldest bit, at least in the Great Basin area, Utah, mm -hmm. things like that. So, Well, you know, what we do in our clinics and how I teach people, and this is what I do, is I get everything, all my education is taught in the snaffle bit. So there, anything new I'm going to present to them is going to be presented in the snaffle bit phase. That's why it takes me. Which is first for you. Yeah, that's why yeah. it takes me two years or three years or whatever, whatever it, takes it takes me. It doesn't really matter. But that's why I present everything to them. And then everything from then on is just refining. Yeah. You know, so that's an interesting thought. Um, before we sign off here, Vic, um, this has been fun. Yes, it has. Your back, you keep fidgeting. Yeah. Your back's getting sore sitting just here. Fat and old. We're just here on this old, this old wood bench, <laughs> my kitchen, hanging out. But um, I always ask this at the end of my podcast when I have guests on is, uh, and yours, I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. But I always ask, what advice would you give somebody with horses and mules? I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give to riders that are interested in making a bridle mule, bridle horse? What what piece of advice would you give them? Well, I would follow one singular teacher and find out who that could be. That could be the famous ones, um, the super famous ones, the not so famous ones. Whatever you choose, you should really follow straight up in the two wards, straight up in the bridle by one master alone. You can get advice from others. But really, if you could stick to one style to get yourself straight up to the bit, that's really where you should go with that. And I would recommend this to the mule community. You go with a natural mule trainer who is seeking that, which is funny because I'm advertising just tie then. But no, there's other trainers that are all looking towards that straight up in the bridle. But basically where I'm going with that is stick to one person to teach you go straight up to the bridle and you can read all kinds of literature but if you're watching the videos stick with one yeah that's good advice don't be a cherry picker right <laughs> right we use you the can term. learn a lot from yeah. others but you should learn from everybody everybody you, you should yeah. always learn and, and that could be positive or negative but yeah. you should always learn something from everybody every day and uh Every, at the end of every day, I try to think back, okay, what I learned today? Yeah. And some days it's hard for me to think about what I learned. I'm like, I don't know what I learned today. But yeah. there's always something somewhere. I think that's why we're here on earth. Yeah. Learn. If every, we're not learning. My great-grandpa said, when you're done learning, it's time to die. <laughs> <laughs> he was right, too. So, right. anyways, he was cool, yeah. man. But Well, Vic, thanks for coming on here, man. You bet. You bet. I appreciate it. So... Uh, Hopefully yeah. I did all right. You did good. good. You did good. They'll leave us a review and they'll tell us. Good. They will. So. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you. Well, I'd be remiss. Uh, this is Vic Lott again. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Ty for letting me come today and I guess try to show off, but he's the he's the awesome guy anyway and all this, but. There's a few others I gotta thank. Uh, Jim Wilkson, he's a great guy from Mount Pleasant. He's taught me a lot about horsemanship. 
hunting and, and lifestyle. Uh, Elliot Anderson for me, for me, taught me a lot about packing. Dale Harwood, he's a master saddlesman. Um, and of course, Joe G, everybody knows Joe. He's one of the, I've got one of the coolest saddles I've ever seen from him. And uh, Tom Peterson, he's uh, teaching me how to braid better and uh, building my hackamores and all my fancy stuff. And Ty's gonna be hanging out with him and maybe do a podcast, huh? That'd be good. And uh, that'd be fun to have him on there. And his, if you ever want any uh, Bozels or hackamores, uh, it's littlelandlivestock at gmail.com. And he'll be able to build you one, just tell him what you want. He knows mules really well. He's got a couple so he can fit things to them. And uh, anyway, those are my shout outs and I appreciate it. Thank you.